Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I share practical, simple, and scientific ways to help you take back control of your mental health, improve your mood and memory, reduce anxiety and worry, and help you live your happiest and healthiest life. Today's guest is someone you may know, Melissa Urban, the creator of Whole30. I'm sure many of you have heard of Whole30 and even done the program, but in today's interview, Melissa and I dive into more personal stuff. Melissa shares her struggle with drug addiction, how she overcame addiction, how she dealt with two divorces and resettled with forgiveness, how she manages her own mental health, how she balances being a mom and successful author and entrepreneur. She also shares some great tips on how to help someone else who may be struggling with mental health issues, how to deal with trauma, suicide, and so much more. Melissa Urban is the co-founder and CEO of the Whole30 program and six times New York Times bestselling author. She has been featured by the New York Times, People, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Dr. Oz, and Good Morning America, and ranked number 19 on Greatest's Top 100 Most Influential People in Health and Fitness in 2018. Melissa has presented more than 150 health and nutrition seminars worldwide and is a prominent keynote speaker on social media and branding health trends, and entrepreneurship. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you like my podcast and enjoy today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing. And don't forget to keep sharing on social media and tagging me so I can see what you guys think and what you found most helpful or interesting. Melissa, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I love what you do. We're great fans. Our family are great fans of you. And thank you for agreeing to come and share your wisdom with us. Thank you so much, Caroline. It is my pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. Fantastic. Melissa, can you share a little bit about what inspired you to create the Whole30 program? What are some things about the program and the community that has most surprised you as it's grown and become such a massive movement? Yeah, you know, the Whole30 was founded in 2009, so 11 years ago, and it started as just a two-person self-experiment. My original co-founder and I were sitting around after a really difficult Olympic lifting session in the gym, Mm -hmm. and we kind of wondered aloud what a really dedicated anti-inflammatory dietary approach would do for our training and our recovery. I was eating Thin Mints at the time, I remember, which is our like mm-hmm. Girl Scout cookies here in the US. We were <laughs> eating them right out of the sleeve. And I remember saying like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You know, I'm, I'm always up for a challenge. And when do you want to start? And he said, let's start right now. And that was really the start of the very first Whole30. We applied research that showed the foods that were the most commonly problematic, particularly to digestion and the immune system. And we left them out of our diet for 30 days. And the results I had from that 30-day self-experiment were so 
remarkable, not just in terms of my physical health, which improved in a variety of areas I was not expecting, but my mental health, my emotional relationship with food, my relationship with my body, they all so dramatically changed that I decided to share the protocol with people on my exercise fitness blog. And that was really where the Whole30 was born, two people doing this self-experiment and getting tremendous results. Oh, I love that. That's so inspiring. And I mean, now it's really, it's a massive movement and you've got such a great community focus. Can you talk about that community focus? Because I, I really think that's just, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've always said that every single good idea I've ever had has come from my community. I've never come up with a, an idea all by myself. I'm always looking to the Whole30 community for, you know, what do you what do you need? What are you asking me for? What would help you be more successful with the program? What am I hearing between the lines? What are some things that you think you need, but I'm hearing something different? And we create resources. I write books. I do podcast episodes. I'm in my DMs, you know, creating social media posts, mm -hmm. all centered around how to serve the community and help them be more successful, not only with their Whole30, but you know, with defining health on their own terms and taking that outside of just their dietary choices. I love that, defining health on their own terms and taking it outside just dietary choices, because we can't just work on diet. We have to work on everything, the spiritual side, the physical side, the mental side. That's so important. I mean, I've, I've been doing mind-brain research for the last 38 years, and I do clinical trials, and I tell you, mind drives it all. Yes. So, yeah, we've got to make that decision and community is what really facilitates the the ability for us to make good mind decisions. It does. And you know, when you're talking about something as big as your relationship with food, it can feel very intimidating to lay out a program like the Whole30 where you're eliminating for a whole month some of the foods that you have really relied on for comfort, to self-soothe, to relieve anxiety, to show each other love. Doing that in the aspect of community where you have that accountability and support and resources and people to tough love you and encourage you is really, really important for people to see it through. Mm, you can't do things alone. We need each other. Mm -hmm, exactly. Which is so important. I want to focus on your background because you're so open about your past and how you've come through some really tough stuff. And can we start by addressing the addiction issue you struggled with and how you overcame that? It's an incredible story. Yeah. People often ask like, oh, have you always been healthy and always paid attention? And my answer is like, no, I, I was a pretty heavy drug addict for about five years. I went through some sexual trauma when I was 16. It was a really difficult time for me. I didn't know how to handle it or process it. I didn't tell anyone what had happened for a few years. And I found drugs you know, in high school and college as a really fantastic way to just escape and numb and swallow what had happened to me. You know, Unfortunately, what started off as a distraction to help me not kind of deal with my trauma turned into a problem in and of itself layered over the trauma. I became addicted. I used pretty heavily for about five years, kind of bouncing between households and jobs. I was highly functional for a good part of it, but that doesn't mean I was healthy. So I used for a while. And when I went into rehab, I went in once and it didn't quite stick. I was in recovery for a year and then I relapsed. And the second time I went in voluntarily, I realized that I was going to have to change every single aspect of my life if I wanted to maintain my recovery, that it wasn't enough just to stop using. I had to reinvent myself as a healthy person with healthy habits. And what I was really doing and didn't know it at the time was adopting mm. a growth mindset. You know, this idea that with practice mm. and with, with dedication and and commitment that I could change aspects about myself. But that's really what I did in that moment is I embraced the idea that I was a healthy person with healthy habits. And then I sought new behaviors, new social situations, 
new habits to support that theory. And that's really where my like love of fitness and healthy eating and kind of all things personal growth came from. That's incredible. I remember listening to one of your podcast interviews and you spoke about how you grew up in a very conservative but very happy kind of home, a Catholic home, I believe, and which was my background as well. And you're just like the sort of perfect child and all kinds of things just went wrong. Am I explaining it? Yeah. I just thought that was fascinating how you gave your background. Do you mind talking a little bit more about that and how you landed up where you did and how you've pulled through to now and you've given a big picture but maybe a little bit more detail because I found that absolutely fascinating. Yeah you know I grew up in a very what I you would consider gender kind of traditional household. My dad worked two jobs. My mom stayed home to raise our kids. You know we weren't poor. We had a, a lot of benefits going for us and we were a Catholic family and you know in a large Portuguese Catholic family the way I kind of describe it is mm-hmm. like if you don't talk about it it doesn't exist. So any bad things that were happening in the family dynamic like we all just learned that it was okay to not talk about it. So of course when this terrible thing happened to me within my family, right? My abuser was a member of the family. I certainly couldn't talk about it with my parents. When I did talk about it with them, they did not know how to handle it and did the best they could but didn't handle it now looking back in the way that I think would have helped me the most. And I, you know, definitely developed this perfectionist tendency. I developed this tendency to like not ever have to ask for help ever and do everything myself. I've lived a very isolated, I would say, I used to say independent life, but really I just had this very thick armor on and I kept that on through any interaction. It was very difficult to open myself up. I wouldn't be vulnerable. I didn't have close relationships because I felt like, you know, I couldn't trust people around me to kind of keep me safe. And I didn't think I could trust myself to keep me safe. So that experience and the way that it was dealt with in my family definitely influenced a lot of like what I spent a decade in therapy trying to unravel once I finally did start talking about it. That's very interesting because, you know, I grew up in a similar sort of environment where you also, you just didn't, you know, you stuck your head in the sand like an ostrich. And that's probably why I've gone into, one of the reasons why I do what I do is is teaching people how to actually really embrace their stuff, embrace process and reconceptualize. You've got to celebrate the, the depression and the anxiety, not for it, but because as soon as you are aware of it, you can change it. You know, and so it's it's as you, you experience that, when, when you push it down, you can't actually get rid of it. It's going to burst out somewhere in your life. And that's what you experienced with the addictions. Is that correct? Yes, it absolutely did. It's funny you say pushed it down. I used to call it eating it. I swallowed it. Ah. You know, all of the negative stuff I swallowed and it manifested in my body. It manifested in my mental health, in my relationships, in my self-care practices. I had no empathy for anybody else because I had zero for myself. Because Oh my gosh. Say I that again. <laughs> that was so good. I could I I realized that I couldn't and I'm not a naturally empathetic person. I've had to learn it, but I couldn't be empathetic empathetic towards anyone else because I had none for myself. Mm. There was no room in my conscientiousness for empathy because if I were to be empathetic to my situation, it would mean I would have to break down and accept what had happened to me and deal mm. with it. And I couldn't. I had to be as strong as possible, but being that strong left me really really brittle and breakable. So that's the thing. Brittle is such a good way of explaining it because there's no, it will break. You can't keep pushing it down. Your body just can't handle it. You know, yeah. I don't know if you know anything about the brain science behind it. It's just fascinating just, just to explain that brittle concept from a scientific angle. We literally are wired for love. And, and, and what I mean by that is that we don't have any circuits in our brain for 
being raped, for being going through abuse, for for stuffing stuff down. We we're not designed for that. So it's an experience. You process it through our mind. It goes into our brain. It becomes physical thoughts, and those thoughts that are toxic. Are actually like twisted proteins, and they very real your immune system response. So it's a very f- real physical reaction, and it's counter to what the body's used to dealing with. So you can push it down for years, but it's causing damage. It's causing damage to your brain, to the energy that your brain generates, to your cells, and eventually it explodes like a volcano. And, you know, when I listen to your interview and I'm listening to you now, that's sort of what happened in your life. You had a volcanic experience. Mm-hmm. It really did. And that it makes so much sense now in retrospect because I've done so much somatic therapy and somatic mm. work. And I've had to work very hard to reconnect my brain to my body because after the trauma, there was a huge disconnection there. And I see it in everything from my fitness and yoga practices to how I react now to massage or acupuncture versus how I used mm. to react. But Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, I held it in until I couldn't hold it anymore. And then I self-destructed. I didn't erupt outward. I erupted inward. And I turned Mm. to every self-destructive behavior I could imagine because I didn't know what else to do. You didn't know what else to do. And you didn't have people around you that were listening. I didn't. And, you know, I don't want to fault my parents. They really did the best they could. As a parent now, I can only imagine what it would feel like to have this, you know, situation kind of dumped on your lap, especially with a really big, close-knit family. They did the best they could. But I, you know, now I kind of have spent some time talking through it with my dad in a very open way. And he was like, man, you know, I, I wish we had done something differently. Understanding that in that situation, again, we all just did the best we could. Exactly. And that's so often what happens. So, you know, we can't take the past and blame and the past is finished. It finished yesterday. We have, but we can change how it plays out into the future. And that's what you did. You took the past and you've changed that how it's played into your future. Now you summarized that right at the beginning when we started talking, but I know for a fact that your process was a long struggle. It wasn't quick and easy. And can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, you actually went through a lot in yeah. healing from that. Oh yeah. I mean, we're ta- when I talk about, you know, that was where my love of fitness and exercise were born. Now we can take like the next 10 years and spend an awful <laughs> lot of time in various forms of therapy, all kinds of different somatic and talk therapy where I'm going back through and working through my trauma and how it's impacted my relationships. I was, you know, in a relationship for a while that wasn't particularly healthy. And when that split up, that was sort of a new layer of processing and baggage. And of course, it made me realize how much that relationship was also tied into my trauma, I had to get over this idea that I was a worthless person who didn't deserve love or health or help or, Mm. you know, I had to figure out like what my worth was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was worth. And it took a long time. And I still occasionally get hit with echoes of, you know, oh, like I'm meeting someone new and introducing myself. When I met my partner a couple years ago and introduced myself to his parents, I had like a little existential crisis Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, they're going to be thrilled that you're dating like a twice divorced single mom who used to be a drug addict. Like that Mm -hmm. voice still comes up. I know as far along as I've gone, the echoes still exist. And every time I just have to remind myself, it's just an echo and repeat the new thought processes. But it's something I'm working on like literally every day. Okay, so it's literally every day. And look how that label, how you labeled yourself and how that label literally locked you in. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and even up to two years ago, you're so successful. Everyone would look at you from the outside and say, like, you know, what does she understand? But you still battle with that. It's a daily process of dealing with those labels that lock us in. 
I do. And you know, it fades, right? The echoes come few and far between. They're not as strong. And now I'm able to immediately look at it and think like, wow, that's a really old story. And you definitely don't have to keep that if you don't want to. But it is still a process. You know, I think at some point, maybe it will go away, but it tends to come up when I'm feeling the most vulnerable, when I'm feeling the most like unsure about a situation. This was a big deal meeting this guy's family, Mm. you know? And in that moment, I think it's when you sort of the, my brain at least reverts back to like what's familiar and what's comforting, even mm-hmm. if that familiar and comforting feeling kind of puts me in a little bit of hell. Exactly. So it's it's an unconscious driver. So it's part of you. You know, it's your story, Melissa. And you know, I think what you've said now is so important. It's always going to be with you because it's because it's your story. But you've reconceptualized that and 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 even but it still can be triggered through various situations. But you said something so key, which I just want to emphasize for the listeners, is that you each time it's a little bit better. The echo is a little bit quieter. So over time we do learn to manage it, but it's still your story. It's still part of what you went through. And there's still those echoes. You can still feel that emotion. And and so you should, because it's what you've experienced. And I think that's really what's what's great about your story is you haven't tried to get rid of it. It's it's, You've changed it, you've reconceptualized it, but you're using it for the changes that that energy, you're driving that energy in the right direction. You've converted that energy and you're not denying that the echoes are still there, but you're learning to manage them. And that's very encouraging and it's a process. Yeah, it is a process. I I figured out a very long time ago that, you know, when I look back on my period of like addiction and dealing with my trauma, I used to very often say that I was I was just broken. I'm just broken. I'm broken. I can't be fixed. There's something wrong with me. Another label. Yes, exactly. And I've come to really not just realize, but like embrace and believe that I was doing the best I could in that moment to like save my own life. Mm. I handled that situation as best as I could. And I am so proud of myself for like getting through it, for handling it. You know, if I had the conscientious thought, would I have chosen a healthier way to handle it? I would have, but my brain did the best it could in that moment. And I came out of it and I'm now able to like look back on that period with so much compassion and so much empathy and so much grace to say like, okay, you know, this is what you were, but like you weren't broken. You were just doing the best you could. And that's made a huge difference, I think, in how I look at those stories and and the labels I use. Oh, that's fantastic. That's such an important point that you have actually raised, that you look back at yourself differently now, that you actually almost Mm -hmm. had to learn, you said earlier on, to, to give yourself empathy, to be gentle, to, and key, you, you, that was what you could do at that time. You did your best in that situation. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent and informed and healthy me. I use Blinkist as part of my daily brain building morning routine, which helps really boost my mental health throughout the day. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. The link will be in the show notes.
And you know, it's amazing, Melissa, how many people that are going through stuff get advice from other people. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? But that's where you are at. That's your experience. We can't understand what you went through. No one can understand someone else's experience. And we all know that. It's not, not like I'm saying anything new, but we need to be able to respect and stop putting pressure on people to perform the way we believe they should handle the situation. We believe the way they should handle it. But even more, as you said, it's how you almost like give yourself permission to have empathy and grace and you were doing your best at the time. That That's a radical thing. Yeah. It really did feel like a radical thing. You know, I went through a period where I tried to like denounce the, I would call her the old me, like there's the old me and there's the new me, almost as if the old mm. me had like died and this new healthy version of me was reborn, but that didn't feel good. That felt very disconnected and it felt very inauthentic. And it wasn't until I realized that this is all just part of the same story and it's my story and that I'm not mm. defined by any piece of the story. They're just all things that have happened to me. But that like they all make up this big tapestry that, you know, when I pull back and look, it's this like, you know, beautiful Persian rug. But like if you dig into any one specific piece and look at it close up, you're going to see, oh, that was some trauma. That was some healing. You know, this was a relationship. This was more therapy. Like it's all just piece of the same of the same story. And it's all my story and I own it all and I want to claim it all. I love that. That's such a strong, important message. And thank you for saying that because my listeners hear me say similar stuff all the time and you you have emphasized something with your own real story own your story yeah. it's part of you i mean you also went through a, a, you said i think two divorces can mm -hmm. you share some advice to those who may be going through this process yeah you know my first divorce i met my husband straight out of rehab and it was a relatively short marriage he rep he was a, he's a wonderful man and we still stay in touch sometimes but mm. he represented the stability and the mm. and the sort of like he was very protective in nature and he was like the safety that i wanted when i first got mm. out of rehab i was craving and then i started to come into my own and find myself and realize that we had different goals and it was you know amicable and, and a relatively easy split my second husband was my my business partner. And, you know, mm. we co-founded Whole30 together. We were married for a few years, very much kind of in the public eye. And that divorce was definitely a lot more challenging. We had a child, a very young child at the time. We, you know, were we went on a book tour together while in the middle of very quietly going through divorce proceedings. That was a, mm. you know, a private matter that we didn't necessarily, we weren't willing to share with the public, but we also mm. had an obligation to our publisher and our readers. And we did a very good job with that. But, you know, it wasn't easy. And I find that someone told me at the beginning of my divorce, like, just be aware that divorce brings out the worst in people. And even if you think that you're going to handle it as best as you can, like you are going to see the worst in both yourself and your partner. And that was absolutely true. Mm. I just... I was tempted for a while in the beginning to kind of trade dig for dig. So a snarky comment or, you know, a threat made in the divorce proceedings. I was tempted to kind of just like jab and parry back. But what I quickly realized was that that made me feel really awful, like to kind of sink down to that level and operate outside of my integrity, the scheming and the plotting and the you know, trying to make the other person feel worse than I felt like that made me feel awful. So I kind of just had to quickly realize that my mm. best interest was to act in my integrity. And what ended up happening, interestingly, is that 
you know, he might say something a little bit rude or a little snarky and I would rise above it and extend grace. And he would immediately come back and say, that was kind of rude. I'm really sorry. Like when I changed how I responded to the situation, it changed how we both responded to the situation. I I am too. And I know that won't be everyone's experience. I am very lucky in that I have a dedicated, devoted dad and co-partner in my ex-husband and that we do put the child first and our co-parenting relationship is very good. But even if that wasn't the case, even if he continued to be a jerk and I still rose above it, that was what was right for my integrity. And that was what allowed me to like sleep at night, you know? Mm, That makes so much sense. And that's a spiritual principle and physical principle. And when you literally pour love on something, it's going to conquer it. So yes, they may not all respond as well as your ex-husband has responded. But when when you're being nice to someone, you're not responding. It's very hard for someone to keep on attacking. So you you know, at the end of the day, and also that's draining their energy and damaging their brain. It's literally causing brain damage. Whereas you actually protected your brain, you know, and here is, you know, you protected your brain and you protected your mind. So, I mean, that was just, that's just so, so good. It's like, and you've, and you're now amicable sharing your parenting and business together and in, in a post-divorce situation. Yes. And it's so fun to hear you describe it from like the scientific perspective, because that's emotionally how, what I felt like I was doing. And it's nice to hear that there's some neuroscience behind it. One of the things I also realized though, was that his reaction was both not really about me and also none of my business. And that was really... Wow, say that again. That's so good. His reaction to, if as long as I was in my integrity, his reaction to what I was doing or saying was none of my business. And it wasn't about me anyway. And what that allowed wow. me to do was not carry any negativity, not carry any you know judgment or difficulty he was trying to throw at me. And it let me realize that I could choose, even in the middle of this incredibly difficult time, I could still choose to be happy. And I say that the divorce and business split, while one of the most stressful times of my life, was also one of the happiest. And that is the absolute truth. I decided to be happy. And it it worked. (laughs) This is like what you just said now is absolute gold. I mean, that is just fantastic. You chose and despite everything, you just, that is incredible. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I know that that has helped so many people. Incredibly, incredibly powerful. That time of the month can already be an annoyance and buying safe tampons or pads just makes things worse. That's why my daughters and I love Lola. Lola is a female-founded feminine care brand offering high-quality period and sexual wellness products made with natural ingredients. Lola's tampons, pads, liners and cleansing wipes are all made with 100% organic cotton, no toxins, dyes or synthetic fibers. They also make it easier for women to get their feminine care products with customizable subscriptions to fit everybody's routine. Lola delivers exactly what she needs, exactly when she needs it. It's easy to edit your order, change your delivery frequency, skip a month or cancel your subscription at any time. Lola has made our lives a little less stressful. It's never been easier to try Lola. Get started with a trial set today. Lola offers two trial sets, each featuring a mixed assortment of period products made with 100% organic cotton for just $5. Get 30% off your $5 trial set today. Visit mylola.com and enter Dr. Leaf to redeem your offer. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes.
in your podcast and on social media, you are so honest and raw, which I just love. I mean, you do same thing now. You, you're sharing about your struggle with mental health issues. I'd love it if you could, you know, just talk about now what you're doing. I know you've grown so much. You've got such great wisdom. You've talked about the divorce. I even remember you listening to you saying that you were on your book tour. You had Dr. Oz's show, I think it was, and you had to be happy and hold hands with, yeah. with the photography or something like that. And somehow you did it, you know, and to yeah, just talk about how you're managing your mental health issues now. I mean, it's it's a daily thing, isn't it? It really is. And again, I don't want to make it sound as though I just made the decision to be happy and then it was effortless from then on. There were still moments where like I was, you know, an hour into this like meditative session of anger where I was just so mad at him and so upset. And then I finally was able to talk myself down and say like, remember the work that you've done. Remember what this is about. Remember that you get to decide. So it wasn't always easy and it's still not easy. You know, I do share a lot on social media. I'm very open about my struggles and the things that I'm learning. And it's interesting when people say, you know, they'll reply back to me and say like, how did you know I needed this in this moment? And the answer is Mm. I didn't. I'm always only just talking to myself. And if other people happen to get stuff out of it, that's wonderful. And that does tend to happen. But everything I'm putting up there, they're just reminders to me. They're, you know, lessons that I've forgotten and need to remind myself about, or they're learnings that I want to document so that a month from now when I've forgotten, I can go back and say like, no, no, no. Remember, this is what you said you were going to do going forward. I do still struggle with my mental health. I have periods of depression that I've talked about pretty readily, and I don't think that's particularly unusual for people. Mm-mm. Not at all. It's totally, that's totally normal. Welcome to being a human, Melissa. Yeah. We all, you know, one thing I say, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to emphasize that it's so normal that, and you, you said a couple of things that just we will dive in a little deeper, but it, it, when we embrace depression, depression is a signal that something's going on. It's not an illness. It's mm. simply a signal, an emotional signal, warning signal that there's something that you need to start dealing with, not stuff it down, you know, not make yourself brittle again, but actually face and deal. And anxiety is the same. And even psychotic breaks, you know, the mental health message in this day and age is is really wrong. It's not an illness. And I've spent 38 years fighting that message and showing people that it's real. Depression is very, very real, but it's not an illness. It's a response. The word depression is a big word. It's a descriptive word. It's not a, a physical illness. It creates changes in your brain and your body. And you can change that again because your brain is neuroplastic. So as you chose to be happy, as you embrace the depression and you work through it and you process it and reconceptualize it, you you make those changes, which is, I just wanted to insert that. So please carry on. No, that's so incredibly helpful. And I think it's something that we can't say often enough. There is still Mm -hmm. such a stigma around talking about mental health. And the only way we're going to reduce the stigma is by talking about it freely, just as you're, you know, suggesting. I like to remind people that you can be happy and pretty and successful according to outside eyes and still be depressed. Exactly. It has, it's not about your life situation. It's not about needing a reason. It is, as you mentioned, you know, a body sign. And very often I find my depression comes on when I'm taking on too much and I'm a little Mm. bit like I'm tending towards burnout. And I feel like depression is sort of my body's way of forcing me to like hunker down and make my life a little bit smaller and, you know, allow myself to recover. Mm. So I do look at it as a signal and I'm very, very compassionate with my body when I'm in that state. 
you know, I'll say to friends very openly, I would really love to talk to you, but I don't have the energetic capacity to do that. You know, tonight, can I try to catch up with you when I'm feeling better? Or I'll have Brandon come over and I'll say like, I don't want to talk. I don't know what's going on. I can't really leave the house, but like, I would love for you to be here and to have some company. I ask for what I want. I do things that I know for a fact, even if I don't want to do them, are going to make me feel better. I still go to the gym. I still eat well. I go to bed early. I do my cold showers in the morning. Like I do the things that I know Mm. 100% are going to help and that don't require a ton of energetic spend. And I also know that like I'm going to come out of it. Mm, I love that. And you mentioned about everything you said there is valuable and listeners take note of all of it. It's just brilliant. And you, you mentioned Brandon. I know he's your partner and I know he also struggles with depression. And you have a, you had a conversation on your website, I think it was. And I've also heard you talk about this on one of your podcasts. You talk about the impact of the depression on his life and his career as an athlete and the tactics that he uses and how he pulled himself back. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Brandon is my boyfriend of three years off and on. And, you know, I knew he had mental health issues the first time we dated before we took like a little break. I knew he had mental health issues, primarily depression and some anxiety. But it wasn't until we got back together about two years ago that we really started talking about it. And he started to open up. And I remember the very first conversation we had where he said, I've had suicidal thoughts as long as I can remember and I, I froze and I, mm. I did not, I don't think I've ever heard those words come out of someone's mouth for so many reasons now that I understand, you know, why you don't want to mm-hmm. think about it. Was I going to immediately call his mom? Was I going to immediately call a psychiatrist? Was I going to have mm. him committed? Was I going to freak out and bail? But, you know, being able to have those open discussions where I asked very plainly, how serious are you about this? Have you thought about how you would do it? Have you ever attempted to take your own life? What are your backups? Like when you start to feel like that now, what kind of system can we put in place so that you don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself? What kind of outlets do you have when you feel like that to help yourself feel better? It wasn't until we were empowered to have that kind of conversation that I feel like the tide really shifted for him. Not necessarily that his Mm. mental health magically went away, but the fact that he knew he could be supported and he could be authentic and he could share what he was feeling without you know, repercussions or retribution. And that like, I was on his side with this, not on the other side, freaking out, but like on his side, did I feel like things finally took a turn, not just for him, but also for our relationship. That's incredible. And with suicide being such a topic of discussion amongst everyone, it's just everywhere. I mean, the statistics are horrific. It's just one of 22 veterans a day and it's the highest cause of death amongst 18 and 19 year olds. One physician a day commits suicide, 22 veterans a day. I mean, I can go on and on. It's the fourth highest cause of death amongst eight year olds. This is a very, very important discussion. And you in a few sentences gave a whole lot of tools for people that maybe are in the same position where they've got a loved one who's suicidal or having suicidal ideation or maybe even attempted suicide. And you know what you said about sitting and just and, and actually listening and not freaking out. That was such a fantastic statement you made and so important. When someone talks has put plucks up the courage to talk about suicide, it's so important that the person listening doesn't freak out and panic because that immediately makes that person who's having the suicidal ideation feel like they're a burden and like you know often explain when I talk about suicide is it's someone on a jump is there's there's a you're in a burning building and you're on the top floor and you're either going to die from the burning building or you're going to jump off the building like where do you go and and people in that suicidal they 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 don't want to die but they stuck and when someone listens suddenly there is someone in the fire who's actually got a fire suit on who can give you a fire suit and get you out or who's got a net below you can jump into and that 
takes a lot of courage what you did to listen and not freak out and help him. You noticed, you listened, and you started problem solving together. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Well, the other thing that I did immediately following was I sought my own help. So this, I Go didn't. to protect this, your own mental health. I did. It scared me. And I didn't know how to respond in a way that would be the most helpful, right? Is there anything I should mm-hmm. avoid saying? Is there anything that, should I check in with him more often? Should I not check in with him at all? So, you know, I immediately started to do some research and talk to my own therapist about, you know, this is the conversation we're having. I want to be maximally supportive. I also recognize that I can't be his only form of support. So, mm-hmm. you know, I need to kind of make sure that I'm taken care of as well. And I made sure that I sought help and we continue to talk about it very, very openly. He continues to seek out new creative outlets that really help him manage his depression and depressive thoughts. And I have seen a marked improvement in it over the course of the last year, not to say that we don't still you know, have times where, you know, I check in and I can tell that he's not doing so well. But the fact that he knows he can lean on me and the fact that we have such open communication, I think makes a really big difference. That's incredible. So it's very important that you actually also protected your own mental health, that you could, you know, like the, the analogy of in a plane, you know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on before you can put someone else's oxygen mask on. So you have to make sure that you've got that that strength and know-how to be able to support that person. So it's once again, it's community, isn't it, Melissa? It comes yeah. back to on, in every aspect is authenticity, community. We need each other. We've got to help each other. We've yeah. got to be with each other. And it's funny because him talking to me about it all on his own opened up a gateway in which he began talking about it with other people in his life. It was like that was sort of the domino mm. he needed. To, he's done Instagram stories about it and YouTube videos. He's talked about it on his channel. He talks about mm. it now with guy friends in his life where he's just a lot more open and honest about it in general. You know, this kind of stuff, this shame around it really hides in the dark. And as soon as you can drag it out into the light and share it, it loses a lot of its power. And I think he's discovered that the more willing he is to share on his own terms, on his own capacity. But the more he's willing, the more other people can connect and relate, the less alone he feels and the better he feels about himself. That's perfect. What you just said is is, is, is such a good practical tip because it's exactly that. Once again, it relates back to the addiction that you experienced. It's, you, you pushed it down and it exploded as addiction, pushed the pain down and it's exploding as suicidal ideation. And we've got, we've, we've, by talking it, bringing it into the light, you know, there's a lot of brain science around neuroscience and quantum physics around that too. As mm. soon as you embrace something, as soon as you celebrate, as soon as you embrace, you acknowledge, as soon as you acknowledge, you actually physically weaken the thought in the brain. So the little chemical bonds and the protein bonds actually start weakening. And then you could do something about it and you can start dissecting it and, and, and it's, it's, it could take years. It could be with you the rest of your life, but you, your, your management is in place. And that's that, it's the hiding that's so bad. And in this day and age, Melissa, it's actually very scary for people to say anything about suicide because of the way that the system is set up. And, and, and I run summits and I work with judges and that kind of thing to try and change the current system. Because the minute that you say that, people, the, the, the system that's in place is that doctors are required to report this and then it's first responders and it's you treated like a criminal you kind of you know you can be you know you're in that ambulance you in that bed with restraints you being medicated and you being dehumanized meanwhile you need to be listened to not dehumanized so we do need to open up the conversation about suicide 
more and more and more in the way that you and Brandon are doing it. So thank you for what you're both doing. It's really, Uh, very, very important. I mean, I'm so proud of him. It could not have been easy to open up your mouth and say to someone that you just started dating again, by the way, you know, I've been thinking about it, but I'm so proud of him for doing so. And he has helped so many people just by like living in his truth. You see, that's the thing, living in his truth, his experience, people can relate to that and that authenticity and community once again, and so important, goodness. You probably have heard me say that no diet or exercise routine will work unless you get your mind and mindset right. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. Rather, it is a tool to help you develop the right mindsets around health, fitness, and food. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and community of other Noomers, so you'll have all the support you need to empower your change. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. You have a son. So this is a question I know you get asked. I have four kids and I get asked this all the time, but it's still really good to ask this. How do you manage being a parent and successful businesswoman and traveling and writing books and being a working mom? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the first thing I always try to address with this question is the amount of privilege that I have in this area. So I am a single mom, but I have a full-time nanny who helps me Mm -hmm. before and after school and during, you know, snow days and no school days. I have a personal assistant who comes over a couple days a week. I work for myself so I can set my own schedule. And if I decide Mm. to take a couple hours off for a field trip or to volunteer or to take my kid to a therapy session, I do. I have a lot of privilege here that I think makes it a lot easier to balance. Mm. On that note though, you know, I do think that I made the decision a long time ago. I kind of feel like the idea of work-life balance is a little bit of BS. Like I don't (laughs) even, I don't know what that means. Are you balancing things so they're perfectly equal? What is the- Exactly. What does it mean? Exactly. So what I try to do is just practice presence. When I'm at work, I'm at work. My son is at school or he's with his nanny at her house playing with her kid. I really do focus on work tasks and I stay pretty productive. When he's home with me, I have a really strong boundary about work. I'm not answering email. I'm not on social media. I'm not taking text messages. You know, this weekend I had someone pretty important send me an email with a couple things to think about. And I just said, thank you so much. I will keep this in the back of my mind and I'll let you know on Monday. Good for you a really strong boundary around that. And that has allowed me, I think, to maintain a good sense of presence where I feel like I'm fully committed to whatever it is I'm working on. And some days it skews way more, you know, weeks way more towards the kid. And other weeks it skews way more towards work when he's with his dad. And that works out just fine for me. Uh, I think that's a fantastic answer. It's, it's it's a great answer. And I can't agree with every sentiment that you've made there is is one I agree with. And Melissa, I love the way you talk about your spiritual relationship, your relationship with God. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, I do have a very, very close personal relationship with God. You know, growing up Catholic, 
I definitely drifted away from organized religion mm. quite a bit. My, I, I feel like I blamed Catholicism in part for some of the communication issues we had in my family. I never really liked the idea that I took from Catholicism, which was that like I was not really qualified to have my own relationship with God. I had to have mm. an intermediary, somebody from the church dictating what that relationship looked like. And so I think I rebelled for a little while and just sort of didn't think about God at all. But probably about 10 years ago, you know, the idea of God, not really God, but like I would call it the universe or the mm -hmm. energy or mother nature kind of started coming back mm -hmm. into my consciousness. And I've slowly begun to realize that I can have any relationship with God that I want. I can talk mm -hmm. to him or her anywhere, anytime, anyhow. I call the mountains my church because that's where I feel the most closely mm -hmm. connected. I meditate every day and that's where I invite kind of God and my spirit guides and the universe to send me messages. I kind of joke that my God is very East Coast. He's very direct. He's very pushy. <laughs> he, you know, kind of gives me a hard time pretty often. And sometimes I give him a hard time right back. But I have a lot of, I, a lot is riding on my faith. And my faith is very, very strong. And my relationship with God is as direct as this communication that you and I are having right now. And, and I, I lean mm -hmm. on that pretty hard, especially when things are tough. I love that. I, when you when you said that in the interview that I listened to of yours, I I just wanted to bring that up because I I can't agree with you more. I just love that. It's such a huge part, and just the way you've described it is beautiful. Okay, so what's been the toughest part? Let's get some whole thirty stuff in here. What's been the toughest part of running whole thirty? Oh boy, you know I think as the company and the business itself grows, as we hire more people and we get new partners, I've had to very conscientiously stay committed to the community. It would be very easy for me to kind of drift away from the one-on-one -on -one community engagement and in the name of running the business, but I have very, very conscientiously, and I'm continuing to take steps now to put the right people in place so that I can stay forward-facing. And I never, ever want to lose touch with the community. It's my favorite part of the job. It is, I think, the most important part of my job because how else am I supposed to know how we can serve them best if I'm not in it and listening and connecting directly? I just feel like it's really important for me in my own growth to stay connected. So there's definitely been that tension or that challenge. And there have been times where I feel like I've been pulled away in the name of, you know, doing business tasks, but I'm keeping that in the front of my mind right now and really making sure that our business plans account for enough staff to run the business side of things so that I can do the forward facing things that I love I so love much. That. Yeah. I love that. So it's very strategic and the execution is happening through a very well-trained, equipped staff, and you are still driving the vision. Yeah, I am. I want to. I, mm. I always want to be the north star for the vision. I've been running Whole Thirty mm. by myself for a really long time, but I have an incredibly talented, passionate, invested team who are just as much Whole Thirty as I am, and you know they do a fantastic job of helping me brainstorm and looking at all the various opportunities we have and asking the hard questions. You know, what's in the community's best interest? So. Yeah, I give them a ton of credit. I work with some incredibly talented and loyal, passionate people. Yeah, a very, I'm listening to you very carefully and, and throughout, and you definitely see yourself as part of a community. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quantum physicists, Christopher. He's Christopher Koch. He's got a really weird name, but he talks about how it's not about us in the world. And it's so true. You know, and he explains it on a quantum physics level with waves of energy, and it's fascinating. And it's just, it's so true. We function so well in in the in the world and and your emphasis on community and living your life with with such a community focus such an integrated community focus is is very impressive 
Well, thank you. It wasn't always that way. You know, I remember asking a therapist a very long time ago when I was barely in the beginning stages of recovering from trauma, is it possible that like, I just don't need people the way that everyone else needs people? And he kind of looked at me and laughed and was like, no, that's not possible. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you you were kind of isolating yourself, as you said earlier on, because you were protecting yourself. You had labeled yourself as unworthy and all that stuff. And you've almost had to learn to connect. Now you've seen the value of community and you totally invested. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. I love that. There are so many supplements out there that it can be very overwhelming and scary. I did my own research since that's what I do best and that's when I discovered Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food or in their clean, absorbable forms. No shady additives, or ingredients that can actually do more harm to your body than good. I've been using Ritual for a while now, and I really love how they make me feel inside and out. Ritual also makes everything so easy and convenient. A subscription is easy to start, and it's easy to snooze. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Okay, coming back to what are your favorite foods and recipes that are Whole30 approved? It's so funny. I kind of have like had this evolution of going from just teaching myself how to cook. The Whole30 really taught me how to cook and I made really, really simple meals to, you know, we have thousands and thousands of Whole30 recipes available through mm -hmm. books and through Instagram. So I started making mm -hmm. a ton of recipes and I had all these like creative dishes all the time. And I've kind of come full circle now to like making really simple dishes just from real whole food. My breakfast every single morning is a big bowl of ground beef with a ton of different veggies. I'll throw zucchini, summer squash, onions, peppers, mushrooms, spinach, grape tomatoes, all like mixed in and I'll throw it Sounds over. Yummy. It's delicious. I'll put it over zucchini mm. noodles or over spinach, sometimes over white rice. And I'll just throw a dressing or sauce over the top and call it good. That's been my breakfast every morning for like, I don't know, maybe a year or two. I mix up the veggies. Wow. I mix up the meat. And I love it. Mm, that's amazing. Okay, so what do you eat for lunch then? Everyone's thinking, what's, they gonna, what's lunch? Yeah. What's dinner? <laughs> So I just finished lunch and I had a big chicken salad. So it was like roasted chicken with pear and an apple, a few dried cranberries, some walnuts, some green onions, some celery, a little bit of mayo, some apple cider vinegar. And I just threw that over romaine. You know, that's my lunch. I have a frittata in the fridge basically at all times. So I've been making this buffalo chicken frittata with lots and lots of jalapeno and celery and green pepper lately. That's been really good. There'll be like a chili for dinner. Usually dinner is where I'll like pull together a recipe if I decide to. So I'll make a chili or I'll make some meatballs or some kind of my son loves spaghetti squash with like meatballs and pasta sauce over the top. So yeah, it's usually, you know, a lot of veggies, definitely some protein, some dressings and sauces, and I keep it pretty simple. Oh, I love it. That's you're making me hungry just listening yeah. to you. <laughs> what do you think has been has made Whole Thirty so successful? I think. I mean, again, I'm going to say community. Okay. I really do think that we have the most I positive. That. I, yeah. I was expecting that answer. <laughs> well, there's a little bit more to it, but obviously, we have like such a welcoming, positive 
engaged, fiercely loyal community. And like people really at this point want to feel like they're, you know, belonging to something bigger than themselves. That's why CrossFit is so popular. People Mm. go to church for that reason, not just the spirituality, but the sense of community. And I think Mm Whole30 does a great job with that. I also think that people are just really tired of like the diet industry. They're tired of counting Mm -hmm. calories, of restricting and deprivation and being hungry all the time and relying on willpower and and the diet industry telling them that their value and worth is dependent on the number on the scale and that they really don't have any other goals other than fitting into a smaller size pair of pants. Like I think people are over that and Whole30 is the antithesis of that approach. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. I I love that. There's always going to be someone who doesn't like what you're doing. How do you deal with negative criticism and feedback? And Yeah. I mean, so there are definitely people who don't think the Whole30 is a great approch. And, you know, it's probably not for everyone. Yeah. Like those comments on social media or something. Yeah. Mm. You know, so sometimes people just don't understand the program. So I'll often hear like Whole30 isn't a great weight loss diet. Well, of course, because we're not a weight loss diet. Or sometimes mm. I'll hear the Whole30 isn't sustainable. And I'm like, well, it's not supposed to be. It's the Whole30, right? We have a whole plan <laughs> for what you do after the 30 days. And that's how you turn yeah. it. You know, you create your own rules make it and sustainable. you make it sustainable. But then there are people who the Whole30 just isn't the right approach from them. Mm. You know, if you have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders and the rules and restrictions of the Whole30, they're very strict and they can be triggering. And if that's your context, the Whole30 is probably not the right approach for you. You know, if you're a fan of moderation and the idea of abstaining brings up this kind of all or nothing mentality or might lead you to binge, it's not a good approach for you. I think it's just one of many dietary tools that could work for a large population. And I just encourage people to find the one that does. If it's not Whole30, take what you like about the program, the fact that you're eating whole food, the fact that you're eating more vegetables, and bring it into the next experiment you decide to try. You know, ultimately, I just want to facilitate that people, again, feel empowered to achieve health on their own terms. I love that. That's such a good answer. And just related to that is on a more, on a sort of more personal level. When people say negative things or really attack you, does it get to you or have you reached the point where you, you coping? What do you do when someone is negative towards you? So the first thing I do is I see if I can find it, right? There was recently a post mm-hmm. on social media where a dietitian did this very long, intricate, detailed, rather scathing review of the Whole30. And I read the whole thing. And my first reaction, of course, because I'm human, mm-hmm. was like defensiveness and anger and mm-hmm. just this icky belly feeling. But then I actually read it and thought, okay, all right, I can see where she gets this impression from. We haven't done a very good job on our website of explaining this. And we we explain it well in the book, but do I want someone to have to buy a book to understand this basic tenet of Whole30? No, mm. I bet we can make some website changes. So there's part of it where it's like, okay, can I find this? And is there anything I can do constructive with it? And then if I can, if it's just that person's opinion, I have to remember that, again, that doesn't say anything about the Whole30. It just speaks to their experience of the Whole30. And it's not for everyone. And I don't take that personally. So I don't generally I spend a ton it. of time on the criticism. I'm not answering every, you know, negative post. I'm not jumping in when people tag me, you know, and people say bad things about the whole 30. Like I have more than enough people who are in the middle of their, you know, life-changing process who want my help and that's who I tend to focus on the most. So that is such good advice because people can get so caught up in the negativity and spend so much negative energy and drain their mm. limited energy on that. So you you analyze instead of getting a you you acknowledge the anger and the frustration or whatever, then you turn it around. See, could you learn something from it? And if you could, you 
made the changes. And if you didn't, you moved on and thought, well, that's their experience and you need to focus on those people that do want to learn. That's a five-step process. That's brilliant. That is 15 years of therapy in the making. (laughs) You did very well. Very good. That's a great tips for people. That's wonderful. Okay. Coming to the last couple of questions, what are some wellness trends that you're most excited about and ones that you have some concerns about? Yeah, I think, you know, anytime a new dietary trend pops up, I feel like I see the same pattern over and over. I saw it with paleo. I saw it with Mm. gluten-free. I see it with keto. I see it with intermittent fasting and the carnivore diet where it's like, people take what was originally designed to be a very specific dietary protocol for a very specific reason, and they extrapolate it out to say, this is going to be good for everyone. And usually they tack on for weight loss at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really important for people to pay attention to context. Could a ketogenic approach be the right approach for you? It could be, but you have to look at the rest of your life. If the rest of your life is incredibly stressful, if you're doing tons of high intensity activity, if you're not a big fan of like cooking and meal prep, at home, then an approach as rigorous as keto probably isn't the right one for you. It's not to say that there's anything bad about the diet. I just want people to take their context into account and Mm. take something on for the right reason. So, you know, that's a concern I have is just people kind of reading the sound bites about a particular approach, taking it on without realizing it. And I've seen people do some really serious metabolic damage with some of these Mm. approaches, like intermittent fasting, particularly for women because they don't understand the application and how it fits into their life. Mm, That's such a good answer. That's definitely a very real, very practical, and I totally 100% agree with you. And I'm so glad that you've emphasized that, you know, look at the individuality. Each person must must find their way of eating that works for them and to be careful. Is anything that you're excited about? Yes. So the conversation around mental health, I am seeing more and more people talking about mental health as freely as they Mm. would talk about their physical health. And that is so incredibly exciting for me. I feel like the more we do that, the more we normalize it, the more people feel willing to ask for help, the more they don't see help as a deficit, the more they don't see this as an illness or anything shameful, that it's just, as you said, an indicator or an experience that they're having. And so I think that's very, very exciting. I really Uh, love to see those conversations happening. Oh, I'm so excited. You're speaking my language now. (laughs) That was great. I loved it. Melissa, this has been so much fun. I have loved talking to you. And honestly, you're just so filled with wisdom and just thank you for being so authentic and honest. And I'd love to have you back on the show again. You've just been fascinating. Thank you so much, Caroline. Your work is so important and I'm so happy that I got to come on and share some thoughts with you. Thank you. So just quickly, where can people find out more about you and your work? And this will also all be in the show notes. Yeah, I'm primarily on Instagram. It's at Melissa U and everything Whole30 is just Whole30, W-H-O-L-E and the number 30. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. And your wisdom is going to be very appreciated. You've said so many great things. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. 
And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.